0: Welcome to 2015 Investors, the podcast that deciphers economic and market megatrends to meet tomorrow's challenges. I'm Cocoa Bobloa, a head of economics, cross asset and quant research at Société Générale. In each episode of 2015 Investors, I'll investigate a key megatrend that relates to the economy, the planet, markets, and you. Warren Buffett once said, you should be greedy when everyone is fearful, and fearful when everyone is greedy. In trading Floringo, this means look for opportunities when the market is selling off, i.e. when there's blood on the street. That's great, but… and to quote a colleague of mine, whom I will not name here, it is best to make sure it is not your own blood. This is pretty much the story of June 2021, when the Fed put a break on the reflation story. I guess the Fed was fed up with inflation, pun intended. They said they would raise interest rates sooner than expected, in 2023. Which means they may start tapering QE by the end of this year. So shall we take a page out of Warren Buffett's book and say that greed is good? Speaking of greed, everyone wants to be a millionaire. So here's your chance. I have two questions for you. Ready? So here we go. Question 1. How many trees are cut down each year to print the US currency? And the answer is... Zero. Yes, zero. That's because 75% of a dollar bill is made up of cotton rag and the remaining 25% of linen. The greenback is greener than you think. And now, question 2. Why is the US dollar bill green? Well, this is because when it was introduced in its current form in 1929, green ink was relatively more resistant to chemical and physical changes. Also, green pigment was available in large quantities for quick printing. Money being green has nothing to do with being green or not. So, by now you must have guessed that today, We are investigating Green versus Greed. Can companies really reconcile their insatiable thirst for profits with the pressure to have a positive impact on the economy, the planet, markets and you? Hmm, that sounds familiar. I've definitely heard that one before. Let's face it, a little dose of greed and ambition Is what throughout human history has often fueled competition, animal spirits, and innovation. So to be blunt, can greed be green? Or is the current enthusiasm for everything green simply greed in disguise? Like a lion pretending to be a vegetarian. And between you and me, the only lion I know who turned vegetarian was Simba in The Lion King, Hakuna Matata. But I digress. Back to our train of thoughts. What is really at stake here is how do environmental, social and governance factors, aka ESG, influence the valuation of financial assets. Okay, let's start our investigation and focus on greed to begin with. If you're a movie fan, I'm sure you remember the 1987 movie Wall Street, where Michael Douglas as Gordon Gecko. A successful, ambitious, and greedy corporate trader gave a speech where he said, Greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. A bit more basic than Warren Buffett. His argument, although controversial, was to say that greed can be a force that drives action, a force that drives purpose. Okay, let's stop for a second. I can already hear you thinking, but isn't greed one of the seven deadly sins Let's be specific and Google that for a second. G-R-E-E-D. Enter. Here we go. Greed. It's an inordinate desire to acquire or possess more than one needs, especially with respect to material wealth. Hmm. OK, I confess. Do I really need to have an iMac, an iPhone X, an Apple Watch, and AirPods Pro? Hmm. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Joke aside, this is not just about a fictional character, but it's about human character. Now let's be academic. The concept of greed brings the renowned economist and Nobel Prize winner Milton Friedman to mind. In 1970, he wrote a famous essay in the New York Times entitled A Friedman Doctrine, The social responsibility of business is to increase its profits. He argued that a company has no social responsibility to the public or society. Its only responsibility is to its shareholders. In other words, to maximize profits by almost all legal means necessary. This doctrine ushered an era of shareholder primacy and was taught in most business schools. A view shared by today's investors and corporate management but probably not by tomorrow's investors, the 2050 investors. But Friedman was misunderstood. His point was that if businesses were profitable, their investors could then spend their profits on social goals. However, this doctrine was challenged over time by the stakeholder view, which suggests that corporations should take into account the interests of all stakeholders. That is to say, shareholders, bondholders, workers, suppliers, the environment, society as a whole, governments, regulators, etc. This is starting to sound like a battle between the good and the dark side of the force. Much to learn you need, young Padawan. And don't get me wrong, the Padawan here is me. The Great Financial Crisis of 2008 triggered a change in mindsets with increasing tensions between Wall Street and Main Street. This led to more regulation on risk-taking, Greed, if left unchecked, could indeed have devastating consequences on all stakeholders. Fast forward 12 years, and the COVID-19 crisis hit. This was the last green straw that broke the camel's back. It triggered a momentous shockwave with a wider adoption of corporate and social responsibility, which significantly accelerated the shift into ESG. To quote Lenin, and yes, I'm quoting Lenin, There are decades where nothing happens, and there are weeks when decades happen. Inflows into ESG ETFs and green-related assets went through the roof. You see that in green bonds, equity sectors, indices, commodities. ESG funds approached $2 trillion as majority of European flows turned green. That was a headline in Investment Week in April. On CNBC.com in May 2021, another article titled read how the $1 trillion market for green bonds is changing Wall Street. Clearly, green bonds are making up a fast-growing part of the $128 trillion bond market. Or as Carmignac.fr puts it, ESG funds the new safe haven? We now even talk about Greenium. No, this is not a new subatomic particle discovery. It's not the Higgs boson or some new radioactive material like plutonium or vibranium from Wakanda. It is a premium of green bonds, or any financial asset linked to climate change and the energy transition. In the auto sector, electric vehicle pure plays trade at a massive premium versus traditional car manufacturers. You have the same phenomenon in the energy sector between renewable pure plays and other traditional fossil fuel energy producers. So, companies have no choice but to be accountable on E, S, and G. Yannick Wagnin, Société Générale's head of ESG research, was spot on when he said ESG used to be the cherry on the cake, and it's not the cake. The bottom line? Yes, green is taking over greed. Investors are being asked to decarbonize their profits. But what does that actually mean? What are the implications for investors? This is something that my colleagues and I frequently discuss with our clients, and of course among ourselves as we strategize on how to best support the ESG transition we are all experiencing. One of the key factors investors need to think about is carbon intensity, or rather, the carbon intensity of their investment portfolios and the ESG rating of the financial assets they own. These ESG ratings are increasingly important and have a profound effect on equity and credit valuations of companies. But wait, before we look closer at the impact of ESG ratings on a firm's valuation, let's take a minute for a refresher on how one values a company. The value of a company is equal to the net present value of all of its cash flows into infinity, or at least until it goes bust. For example, let's take the case of a company that makes $100 in earnings and distributes all of it in dividends every year into infinity. It is not worth infinity. That's because $100 in one year's time is worth less than $100 today. And $100 in 10 years is not worth a lot today. That's the beauty of mathematics. You can prove that summing up an infinite set of incrementally smaller numbers is not equal to infinity. It is essentially the sum of a geometric series. It is in fact worth $1,000 if the discount rate is 10%, and will have a P multiple of 10 times earnings. Now, let's assume the discount rate goes from 10% to 5%. That same company will then be worth $100 divided by 5%, which is $2000, or a P multiple of 20 times. This is the foundation of the Capital Asset Pricing Model, or CAPM. The discount rate measures risk, uncertainty, the level of future interest rates, and the equity risk premium. But this is not an exact science. It is also the market price of the risk linked to the earnings stream of the company its uncertainty, volatility, and sustainability. This is where ESG will and already has a massive impact. Companies with strong ESG credentials trade at a premium with a lower cost of capital or a discount rate compared to their peers. Okay, now that we've covered the basics of company valuations, let's take a look at how environmental, social, and governance factors influence them. Let's start with the S of ESG, the social factor. Globalization and outsourcing of capital and labor-intensive businesses to emerging markets have led companies in developed countries to gradually become asset-light and less labor-intensive. Take Apple, for example. Apple outsourced the manufacturing of its iPhones to Foxconn in China and kept the high-value-added activities such as design and R&D in the U.S., the increased use of automation and robots has further decreased the labor intensity of businesses. Uber does not own any cars. Apple is a 2.2 trillion dollar market cap company with only 100,000 employees. Walmart, on the other hand, is valued at 390 billion dollars but has 2.2 million employees. The most valuable companies today are asset light. Not the same as the massive, asset-intensive steel or industrial companies of 50 years ago. Business models are evolving and adaptive. You can think about all of this in this way. Companies are biological organisms. They evolve and adapt their DNA to their competitive environment. They follow a sort of Darwinian process of evolution by natural selection of return on equity. From dinosaurs with heavy, noisy, rigid, asset intensive business models to more advanced species with globalized and efficient supply chains and automated production processes. The irony is that some of these asset-like companies have good ESG ratings, low carbon footprints, but also have fewer employees. Is the equity market telling us that humans are simply bad for the planet? That's an interesting point. The average American is responsible for about 16 tons of carbon emissions every year. Globally, the average is 4 tons. And to have the best chance of avoiding a 2 degree rise in global temperatures, the average global carbon footprint per year needs to drop under 2 tons per person by 2050. Quite a challenge. But back to the S-factor and companies. What's their responsibility towards society and their employees? I've been keeping the perfect code up my sleeve for this. Richard Branson, the founder of Virgin Group, famously said, Clients do not come first. Employees come first. If you take care of your employees, they will take care of the clients. So why is this important, you may ask? Because the single most important factor of success for a team, the factor that drives innovation and creativity, is not money, not greed it is the sense of security, the absence of fear. It is trust. Because when you are stressed, your reptilian brain generates stress hormones. You are in a fight-or-flight mode. You're not going to discover the law of gravity like Isaac Newton did when he was hit by that apple pouch, if you are being attacked by a lion, a non-vegetarian one, that is. So, Decent working conditions and pay are not just important, they are key factors in whether you will succeed or fail in the long term. So yes, security and being taken care of are necessary conditions for success, but they are not sufficient. James Sirowicki, in his book Wisdom of the Crowd, brings another brilliant perspective. He states that a group of people can be smarter than the smartest person in the group if three conditions are met. Condition one, you need a minimum level of IQ. And I guess that if you're still listening to this podcast, then you have nothing to worry about. Condition two, independence of views and thought. Thinking for yourself, basically. And finally, diversity of diversity. This includes academic background, professional experiences, age, gender, ethnicity, and so on. The bottom line message here is, the social or the S of ESG is better than greed when it comes to creating sustainable value. Okay, so now we've covered the S of ESG. Now let's talk about the E and G, or Environment and Governance. And as you'd imagine, the risks are pretty much self-explanatory. Take the devastating impact of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill in April 2010 in the Gulf of Mexico. It led to 11 fatalities and 4.9 million barrels of crude oil in the Gulf. Or the long list of corporate frauds linked to poor governance. A quick Google search on the biggest business scandals of 2020 leads straight to Wirecard's collapse a German payment processing company that became the largest European accounting fraud case of last year. It had inflated its balance sheet by $2.3 billion. So clearly, environmental, social and governance factors can make a huge difference when it comes to making investment decisions, when it comes to assessing investment risks. We can even talk of a green efficient frontier, where investors can lower their risks more than they sacrifice returns. Investors may even improve returns as green projects can also be profitable. Therefore, green is better than greed at making green. Double pun intended. The key point, though, is in improving the impact of known unknowns. We talked about this already in our previous episode. Let's bring in Isabel Mila, Société Générale's Head of Sustainability Solutions, for her take on all of this. Hello, Isabel. Hi, Koku. I know you are a green guru when it comes to sustainability solutions. I have a question for you. What can investors do in practice to get exposure to ESG-related investments?
1: Ah, well, first, maybe I'd say uh, with the team, we are enablers rather than uh, gurus. You know, we're here to help turn incantation into action. And to do that, actually, there are three questions you know, uh, to investors. Why, where, and then we can turn to the how. So why, you know, why do they want uh, ESG? Do they want their investments to align with some environmental or social beliefs? Do they want to benefit from business opportunities resulting from uh, environmental and and social trends? Of course, they want to do both. The question is, you know, which comes first? Then the where, well... Once you know why, uh, you need to know if uh, your client is targeting a short-term liquid bucket of investment or maybe a longer-term one. It's you know not uh, the same thing. Also, if they want capital protection or or yield, so really you know why and, and uh, where are important. But uh, having said that, what can they do? You know uh, the the how. What solutions do we have for them? Uh, ESG is everywhere, and solutions are multifaceted. But I know you're a busy man, so let me just uh, illustrate with one uh, theme, which is climate investing. Well, first, uh, investors can do certificates on baskets. That's popular, you know, with uh, with private banks. And you can create a thematic basket of stocks of companies and sectors that support uh, the climate transition. So thematic baskets are one, but uh, some portfolio managers uh, actually need sector diversification. So... They could invest across industries, but only in those companies which are reducing their carbon emissions most rapidly. And again, if you create that basket, you know, what's nice is it's versatile. You can trade it in multiple products like listed trackers or even more bespoke bank solutions. Then, of course, uh, for a more targeted impact, investors can buy positive impact or green bonds where issuers commit to earmark proceeds towards some audited green projects. You need to know why you want to go uh, ESG. In other words, you need to position your investment on the triple bottom line of sustainable investing, which is people, planet, and profit. You know, those of us who studied business will remember the four Ps promoted by uh, Philip Kotler to define a marketing mix. Well, actually, sustainable investing has its three Ps also. Again, people, planet, profit.
0: Well, this is amazing. There's a huge variety of solutions, um, but the risk of green washing is real. How do you build trust with them in the long run?
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, all that glitters isn't green, and uh, the the risk of uh, portraying as green a, a product that really isn't exists. But uh, Because we want to grow uh, sustainable investing uh, in a sustainable manner, we are very cautious and disciplined uh, with processes and controls for our solutions. You know, trust is built with time and transparency. So we make the time to understand investors' goals. And then uh, we transparently lay out the features of each of our solutions. And you know what they say trust but verify. So, for example, when an issuer commits to earmark the proceeds of a positive impact bond towards sustainable and and positive impact projects, there should be an audit and a report uh, to investors on these projects. So, you can look at it this way. There's a double premise in ESG, values and value. The question is... uh, what value do investors assign to values? Should there be a, a trade-off? And if there is, you know which one do they prioritize? Then, of course, uh, I would conclude by saying uh, we always uh, attempt to combine both and deliver values and value in all solutions.
0: Thanks, Isabel. I think the, uh, the main takeaway here can be that uh, the value of values might be more important than the value of returns up to a certain point. But this is probably a topic for another podcast. So to wrap up, the green versus greed debate might simply be about our collective conscience, which, as it happens, was nicely summed up by Michael Jackson. I realized there is a lot of controversy about it, but he was pretty spot on when he said, Heal the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. Even Dante, in the divine comedy Inferno, wrote, The hottest places in hell are reserved for those who in time of moral crisis preserve their neutrality. We all have a role to play. And remember, as The Rock said, It is nice to be important, but it is more important to be nice. Thank you for listening to this episode of 2050 Investors. And thanks to Isabelle Milar for sharing some useful insight with us. I hope this episode has helped you get a better glimpse of the future of finance. You can find the show on your regular streaming apps. Please subscribe, leave some stars on Apple Podcasts, leave comments anywhere you like, and spread the word. See you at the next episode. Whilst the following podcast discusses the financial markets, it does not recommend any particular investment decision. If you are unsure of the merits of any investment decision, please seek professional advice.